Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, and welcome to this edition of Joint Action. This podcast is dedicated to all those out there who have osteoarthritis. On the show, we unpack the truths and demystify the myths about the disease and its management. If you have joint pain and want to know more about how to manage it from the world's best experts, you've come to the right place. Without further ado, it is time to welcome your host, David Hunter. Hello and welcome to this edition of the Joint Action Podcast. Today, we have the opportunity to talk about the results of a recent trial that found that exercise is no better than saltwater injections for knee osteoarthritis. Now, exercise and education have been widely recommended for lots of years for knee osteoarthritis. To date, there have been over 100 clinical trials demonstrating beneficial effects of exercise for knee osteoarthritis compared to no treatment control groups. As a consequence, there have been strong recommendations for exercise as a primary management strategy for osteoarthritis of the knee in most guidelines around the world. The comparison of exercise to a no-treatment control introduces multiple biases. One option to overcome this is to compare exercise to a placebo treatment, such as a saltwater injection. A recently published paper compared an eight-week exercise and education program to four placebo saltwater injections in 206 adults with knee osteoarthritis. And on this episode of the Joint Action Podcast, we're joined by Marius Henriksen to discuss the results of this study. Professor Marius Henriksen is a research physiotherapist, and besides leading the physiotherapy and biomechanics research unit at the Parker Institute, He's also a professor of physiotherapy at Copenhagen University and the Department of Physical and Occupational Therapy at Bishbjerg Fredericksburg Hospital. 
His research focuses on the clinical effectiveness of non-pharmacologic interventions, in particular physiotherapy, with a focus on pain and disability across a wide range of diseases. Hello, Marius, and welcome to the show. Thank you, David. I'm glad to be here. Good to see you after such a long while, and hopefully we'll get to catch up face-to-face in the not-too-distant future. Before we get into the main content of the show, in an effort for me to get to know you a little bit better, and for the listeners to get to know you a little bit better, can you tell us a little bit about your background and what a typical day might look like? Sure. Well, I'm a physical therapist of training and uh, had a very brief career doing clinical practice, figuring out that I didn't know what, what, I, what I was doing and needed to go deeper into it. And then I had the chance to go into some research training and do my master's and a PhD and yada, 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 on to now I'm a full professor. So my clinical work is, is very limited now. I do most mostly is, is supervising students, organizing studies, doing data management, writing up papers, reading, asking people for grants, going to meetings. So there's, there's not really a typical day. It's, it's a lot of things mixed together and I'm always behind on my e- emails and everything. So it sounds like something that resonates very clearly with my life as well, in terms of having a lot of variety, a lot of different masters, a lot of different things pulling you in different directions and never, never feeling completely on top of things. Do you walk home content at the end of the day? Yes, I do. Sorry, you're in Copenhagen. Do you cycle home content? I cycle home, but uh, actually I'm so lucky that, that I'm just having 1200 meters to home. So I could actually walk and does that sometimes if I just need a little bit of time for myself before meeting the family and the girls who wants my attention back home. But I, I, I usually uh, go home content and looking forward to meeting in next morning. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Now, Marius, when you're not at your day job, what do you like to do? Well, I love to cook especially Italian cooking and eating my food as well. So I, I struggle a bit with finding the right balance, especially when, when I hit the spot and make some very good food. It's hard not just to do one portion. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, if I can get out of town, I love to go windsurfing and swimming in the ocean. So um, at least in, in the relatively short summers that we have here, I hope to be as much by the sea and on the sea as much as possible. How often do you get a chance to cook? Daily. I am the, uh, the cook at home. Oh, brilliant. That's fantastic. And with the windsurfing and in the ocean, you do that close to home? No, Copenhagen is, is not windsurfing friendly. So I have to get out of town and uh, go to the, uh, to the beach house, which is an hour's drive, which may seem short for an Australian or an American, but for Danes, it's, it's a hurdle. It's a barrier. Yeah, no, it sounds fantastic. You get to do that for a few weeks a year or how, do, how does that work? Well, we can, we can go in the water for, well, five to six months a year, but, but uh, then again, we have to, to plan because there are a lot of other activities in, in the weekends. And what's the water temperature? Well, in the summer, we can hit 20, 22 degrees Celsius, and now it, it is five to close to freezing. Okay, wonderful. All right. Now, Marius, if you had to describe yourself in five words, what would they be? This is a tough one, but uh, I would say that I am, I'm helpful. I like to help people. I actually have a sign here on, over my office door that says, what can I help you with? That reminds me every day that when students come in, I have to ask them that question rather than being a critical supervisor. And then I would say empathetic, 
And I like to think of myself as thorough and systematic and also ambitious. So I think that was five. All wonderful qualities. And, you know, what I know of you, I would agree with. I remember um, one particular episode where we were having a meal together where you had a bet with my wife about a particular song. I think you ended up losing. And my wife has always been enthusiastic to this day about the fact that someone from Scandinavia could get ever wrong. But anyway, that's another day. It's great to have people working like yourself in this community. Um, and those particular qualities, it's superb for someone who's working in the research space, because it sounds very altruistic. Now, Marius, obviously, the main content of today is about a study that you've just published that I was involved in looking at the role of exercise and education in the osteoarthritis. It's been quite controversial and there's been a lot of people taking this in the field and trying to understand it. And the purpose of today is really to try to dig into it a little bit further. The study was really comparing exercise and education to injections of salt water in knee osteoarthritis. Can you just tell us a little bit before we get into the main details of the study, why you wanted to pursue a study like that? Well, as, as you allude to, there's a worldwide recommendation of exercise and patient education as one of the primary management strategies for knee osteoarthritis. It's based on several studies, more than 100 randomized controlled trials of exercise against no attention or no treatment. And even uh, an institution that's called the Cochrane Review Center, which is like the top of, of the world collecting evidence states that we don't need any more studies to show that exercise is effective. But when you do these kind of studies, because it's, it's very difficult and, and some would say impossible to do a blinded study of exercise, then the control group is, is a no treatment group. And then we can actually not say anything specific about exercise because there's so many other things going on when you do exercises, especially if you, if you do it supervised together with other patients and a physiotherapist, then there's, there's all these contextual things that I'm sure we're gonna get back to. So the evidence is not so clear about exercise in itself. And that's why we wanted to, to dig into it. And then we chose to compare it to saline injections, because that is a typical comparison for at least intra-articular injection therapies in studies of drug, intra-articular drugs or whatever. And it, it actually has the, a similar effect as the exercise when we look only at the salt water injections. So we thought, well, this is an inert treatment and uh, if we apply that as a comparator to exercise, maybe we can tease out some of the real effects. And one of the interesting things about our study that has not been given so much attention in the discussions out there is actually that we gave it what we call open label. So we told people that they could either get exercise and education or they can get a saltwater injection. And that saltwater is not doing anything in your knee, but it will likely help you. So we tried to provide both treatments with positive reinforcements and positive communications. So this open label application of what some people will say a placebo has not been done many times before, but it has been done in studies showing that we can actually elicit placebo responses by simply giving people an inert tablet or injection and telling them that that will do good. 
so taking that into account, we thought this, this could be a strong comparator. And if exercise and education can beat that, then there will be definitely something about it. Superb. And just before we get into the results and why you think those results happened and just telling us a little bit about the study, I just want to briefly recap a couple of the concepts you just introduced. So obviously there's hundreds of exercise studies out there in the context of osteoarthritis. Most guidelines as a consequence of those studies recommend for the use of exercise and the management of osteoarthritis. But as you mentioned, most of those studies were challenged in, in, to some extent by the lack of potentially an appropriate comparator arm. I mean, in most randomized controlled trials, generally you want to compare the active intervention, in this instance, exercise and education, against something else. And for most other interventions in osteoarthritis, um, you know, for example, pharmacologic medication and injection, there will be a comparator. But the challenges in finding an appropriate comparator for exercise and keeping participants potentially appropriately unaware of their treatment allocation compared to the comparator group is particularly challenging. So, Marius, do you want to briefly summarize what occurred in the study and the results? And then we'll get into why you think that might have occurred. Yes, well, there's, an, there's another aspect that has not been discussed so so much is that is actually an equivalence study. Normally when we do randomized controlled trials, we want to show differences between an active treatment and an inactive comparator or, or two treatments. We want to show that this one is better than this one. But we actually set out to say, well, we believe that these two are equally good. And Without getting too technical, it's, there's a difference between showing that some things are equivalent and compared to showing that there is a difference or, or concluding there's no difference. So without getting too technical, there is a difference. We are more certain that these are equivalent in our study. And that is actually what we found. We found that these two interventions, the salt water injection and the exercise and education program were equally good in providing pain relief. So how big was the study and what did each of the treatment groups receive and how long were they followed up for? We randomized 206 patients to either exercise and education or the salt water. And it was one-to-one almost. So it was 102 versus 104 participants. And uh, the exercise and education was the GLAD program, which is invented here in Denmark and now uh, implemented worldwide in many countries, including Australia. And it's a eight-week program where you receive two to three educational sessions. In our, in our study, we did two because the third one is optional. People are educated about osteoarthritis, what it is, and how you can manage it with a focus on exercise. And after that, they go into a six-week exercise program, exercising with a physiotherapist in a group two times per week for six weeks. And the saltwater group had a total of four injections of five milliliters each time. And it was given with two weeks apart. So that was week one, three, five, and seven. And then we did the measurements before and uh, after the eight weeks. So that would be in week nine and a relatively short further follow-up at 12 weeks. So three months in total. And the main results here, Marius, if you just look within groups so if you look within the exercise and education group and within the salt water group what did you see well we saw that the the two groups 
changed on a 0 to 100 pain score between 8 and 10 points in both groups. So that would be what I would say clinically, just a clinically relevant difference within, within each group. And then the difference between the groups was around these two points uh, with a very small confidence interval, which is, is used to assess this equivalence thing. So we are quite certain that the difference is quite small. Okay. So bottom line is that the exercise and education intervention was equivalent to saltwater injections at the conclusion of the study. Yes, and the, the magnitude of the effects, I would say, it's, it's also important, is, is completely identical to, to what we see in other exercise uh, studies. So, so it's not because that our program was less effective than what we have seen before. Now, let's try and disentangle and interpret some of these results. So I guess in the first instance, as you say, the, the magnitude of the effect for the exercise treatment arm was equivalent to previous exercise studies. Um, and presumably the magnitude of the saltwater injection was equivalent to what's been seen in other studies as well? Well, slightly lower than what we saw previous, but that's perhaps because we now applied it in this open label fashion. So we told people this is saltwater. All right. So most of the literature that's out there would suggest that saltwater, as you said before, is an inert comparator. It's a quite frequently used control in most injection studies. And for injections in osteoarthritis, for them to be able to clearly say that there's a benefit, they need to demonstrate superiority or a benefit over that comparator injection. Does salt water help? Can it help? Well, that's another controversy that's not directly linked to our study in particular, but to a range of studies. And then particularly the people who want to show that their new compounds or the new drugs are better than salt water have a problem because it's difficult to beat salt water. So they, they would claim that, well, salt water is too good to be an inert comparator. And they come up with various arguments, but I haven't seen any scientific data to show that there should actually be some biological or physiological response to salt water. Somebody mentioned a dilution of the joint fluid, and that might impact on the inflammation, but that's a theory that has never been, been shown, at least not with the, with the amounts that we inject, which are five milliliters, very small. But yes, based on our study and previous studies, uh, salt water actually can provide benefit, believe it or not. Yeah. Now, working back from your response, you're essentially alluding to the fact that it provides a benefit, but there's no biologic rationale as to why that benefit is likely to occur. Why are they getting a benefit? Can you tell us a little bit more about placebo effects or contextual effects? Yeah, well, placebo effects is something that we know happens in many, many instances, also in daily practice, or even at home, placebo effects are real. What they consist of is very less understood. There are some neurobiologists who can find some activities in some brain regions going on, and even some measurements can, can be made on the physiology that there's something is actually going on. But I'm far from being qualified to go into that discussion in a qualified manner. So I'd rather go to some of these, what we call contextual effects, what happens around each patient in a study. And that is all about what the, the patients or the participants bring with them 
in their lives. So it can be intrinsic factors like their age or their gender or sex, their previous experiences with treatments or with clinicians or hospital settings. And, and then it could be some more interpersonal things like meeting a caring physiotherapist or a caring medical doctor that takes you seriously. And, and when you're in a study, they tend to take better care of you than when you're just a patient because they need to document everything and make sure that everything is all right. And then you meet other patients that have the same condition as you. And that might not be the case if you're just your own and going to your doctor. And then you're being observed. I mean, everybody is asking you how you feel. You get more aware of, well, how do I actually feel? And then there is this thing about osteoarthritis that the symptoms tends to fluctuate over time. You have good periods and you have bad periods. And usually you go and see your doctor in a bad period. And then you enter a study that lasts eight weeks. And after that eight weeks, the disease might have just calmed down by itself and you're into a good period. And then we have getting to call, especially about exercise, we have an epiconditioning of people. And that's, that's a quite technical word, but it means that we, over the last 30, 40 years, we've been told that exercise is good for you. So everybody are already prompted that if we go and have a problem with our body, we need to exercise. And that is probably a good idea for us. So if we did an exercise study in the 1940s and 1950s, I'm sure we would have poorer responses than if we do it now. So these are some of these contextual factors that are very difficult to control for in a study. Yeah, and obviously in the context of lots of osteoarthritis trials, finding a difference between treatments has been challenging in large part because of the presence of these contextual factors. So, you know, essentially what I think you're saying is that the equivalence here between exercise and education and the saltwater injections and the fact that saltwater injections don't have a biologic effect and that they're likely largely just to have contextual effects providing the benefit suggests that this particular modality of exercise, uh, neuromuscular exercise and education, is no better than this inert comparator. That's a fair summation? That's a fair summation, yeah. Yeah. All right. Now, as you just alluded to, there's lots of different support that's out there from the exercise and physiotherapy community for the use of exercise in osteoarthritis. Let's dig into, I guess, some of the limitations and the controversies that have been directed towards you and the study team about this particular trial. Can we get into those before we then come back and talk a little bit about where do we go from here? So what are the limitations? What are the controversies that have come up? The main one is that we have very dissimilar interventions. So an injection with salt water is very dissimilar to an exercise and education program. That's some of the critique that we have received and that we accept because these are two very different modalities. So comparing them makes it a little bit difficult to draw firm conclusions, I would say. And I agree that this is a limitation of the study, but, but then again, it's a limitation of all exercise and education trials because we cannot make an inert version of that. So this was an attempt, and then we tried to apply it in an open label and maximizing the positive vibes around everything. 
Another limitation that is also common for most osteoarthritis studies is that our, we mainly rely on patient-reported outcome measures. So that is questionnaires. So we ask patients about their pain and about their physical functioning and symptoms and, and all that. So, and it's generally agreed that patient-reported outcomes are associated with some bias because the patient's tend to wanting to please the investigators. So they may overrate their responses. But then again, in this, in this case, it might be less of a problem because it's the same in both groups. So it kind of levels off. And then we have had some critique that we only did short-term outcomes. So only measuring the results after eight weeks and 12 weeks. And this is a chronic disease and we should measure things on a longer term. We have actually done that. We have not uh, analyzed the data yet, but uh, we have just here before Christmas, we finalized the one-year follow-up questionnaire collection. So that will be out somewhere in, in this year, uh, hopefully to um, accommodate some of the critique in, in this point. Brilliant. All right. Now, where do we go from here? Okay, because obviously, you know, your background as a physiotherapist, you've worked as a clinician, I'm sure many of your physiotherapy and exercise physiology colleagues have looked at this study and said, my goodness, Marius, what have you done? You've got some evidence here suggesting that this is no better than inert comparator. Should we stop exercising? And if we don't stop exercising, what is it that we're doing that's providing a benefit here? And how can we justify the investment, both in terms of time and expense? That's a tough one. But I think we should not, based on our study, we should not stop recommending exercise per se. From our study, we can say, well, this type of exercise and education that has been tested, the GLAD program, we might expand the range of possibilities of exercise uh, when we recommend something to our patients. Because patients with osteoarthritis of the knees are different. You have the very uh, impaired elderly woman at the one end, and then you have some scaffolding worker or a bricklayer on the other end who is very physically active and, and exercise for a guy in his 50s that work, have a hard labor, may not be what he needs. So I think we should reconsider that exercise is for all. Exercise should be for those who want to do it, has the right motivation. And then for the other, we need to find some other solutions. And, and this study is, is unfortunately one in a long list of studies of treatments for osteoarthritis that turns out to be ineffective. So there's a long list now. So, so we can have steroid injections are no better than saltwater injections. We have your recent study on PRP, not better than saltwater injections. We have over-the-counter uh, acetaminophen or paracetamol, not better than placebo. And I could go on and on and on. So uh, we are getting back to scratch or square one with osteoarthritis and the non-surgical management, I'm afraid. Yeah, it's a really pertinent point to suggest that, you know, finding and beating that hurdle of being better than a comparative placebo in the osteoarthritis context is really hard. Um, I think for many people who are out there who regularly exercise, hearing that you say that we should continue to exercise and we don't know necessarily the complete answer yet is likely very reassuring. But again, where do we go from here? Because I think what you're saying is that, you know, this is an incredibly heterogeneous disease. We've been treating uh, everybody very similarly in many ways. Where do we go to from here, from 
potentially a research and subsequently a therapeutic context with regards to the evidence? Yeah, we have to we have to embrace the current state of the evidence, and 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 uh, as as uh, academics and as uh, medical doctors, we uh, we tend to only to like uh, to to provide things that are proven. I mean, really proven against a placebo. Otherwise, we cannot recommend it or use it. But we, I think we are in a position where we need to embrace that we don't really know. To, to put it short and have a good and thorough conversation with our patients and saying, well, we should start off with what is least harmful to you because all treatments are associated with, with some side effects, especially the medical treatments. And so we should choose the one that does the least harm and then let the patients try exercise. If it is for them, that's good. Carry on. Continue to do it. But if you don't like it or you don't feel it does anything for you, we should change to do something else. And in terms of the recommendations and how do we do that, I think we should just perhaps moderate the strength of the recommendations. So rather than saying exercise is for all, we should go, well, consider exercise, consider this, consider this, rather than exercise and weight loss and all the, the tough lifestyle changes well, they are good for a lot of things, but perhaps not for this particular patient with knee osteoarthritis at this moment. Yeah. And so I think from that, for people walking away and trying to formulate a message, I think the key thing here is we're not saying don't exercise. We are saying do exercise, but do it in a tailored, thoughtful way that's suitable for you and is dictated to some extent by the response that you get. And bear in mind uh, that, you know, there is a lot of benefit to be gained here from that therapeutic relationship that you might have with the clinician who's providing that care. And that there are lots of other treatments that are out there that ideally should be targeted towards what you are likely to benefit from and that you can likely pursue longer term. Now, Marius, are there any other comments that you want to make about the study, the responses that you've had to it? some of the social media storm that I know you've been uh, the target of before we move on to other questions? Well, I can say well, well, we were expecting a much more fierce storm that we actually got. Most of the comments have actually been in a nice tone and, and in a good discussion rather than just, well, what is this? Well, I don't believe it. But there's been some of those, but on the social media, I, I have a feeling that have been some some good critical questions and some some disbelief, but in a good tone, saying, "Wow, we didn't see this coming." Uh, more than than pointing fingers and and have a, an aggressive tone. And I think part of it is because that we the, the main part of the of the research group are physiotherapists, so we look at our own practice rather than if somebody from the outside. A medical doctor. If you had been the lead author, David, I think the the storm would have been different. I think you phrased the manuscript in a way that was quite diplomatic and articulated in a very thoughtful way. I think in with an intent to come across as very balanced and thoughtful, but not necessarily critical of a particular field or discipline. Um, and so I think that was done in a very considered and thoughtful way. And hopefully that's led to some of the more thoughtful framing of the feedback that you've received as well. 
Thank you very much. And I, I think also that this study is, is part of the way that we try to look at treatment of, of osteoarthritis. Is that we try to challenge the status quo. I mean, because for the last 10 years, I've been told that exercise is good and it's on top of recommendations. And this Cochrane uh, database center say that we don't need more trials. So, so there has been a feeling that, hey, we're done here. We know that we have the solution to knee osteoarthritis. But no, we don't. So this study was also an attempt to challenge the status quo and, and see, can we stir up things and, and tease out something that could learn us or teach us something so that we can do better in the next study and, and treat our patients more effectively than we can right now. Yeah. And I think that latter part of the motivation there is particularly critical is that, you know, we want to do better for the patient community that's out there. And you know, ultimately, this is about them and this is about improving treatments that are available and outcomes ultimately for patients. All right, Marius, we can now get into the fun portion of the show. Not that the last portion wasn't fun, but I'm sure you could think of better things to do at, was it nine or 10 o'clock at night there? Yeah, something like that. Bedtime soon. Yeah, bedtime. We're going to get into some rapid questions. So just rapid response. What's your favorite book? I tend not to read too much when I'm off because I read so much uh, during my day, but, but I really love uh, historical novels. So something from, for instance, Ken Follett would be um, very good. Brilliant. Favorite movie? I would say the, the original three Star Wars movies are very high on my list. Yeah. The first, first three, like the prequels? Yeah, well, they are the middle three in the series, but, but those that came out in the 70s ones and 80s. The ones who came out originally? Dog or a cat person? I say neither because I'm allergic to everything with fur. So you've got some fur on your face. Favorite quote? <laughs> Favorite quote? Yeah, I, I thought of that. I think Albert Einstein said something very brilliantly that there are two things that are infinite, the universe and human stupidity. And I'm not so sure about the universe. We may have touched upon this one already, but what's your favorite food? Well, it's pasta, Italian pasta, and, and especially with seafood. That's my favorite. And do you have a bad habit? Well, I, if I told you them, I'd have to kill you. But I figured out that I think I tend to worry too much sometimes. I think uh, we probably have that in common. <laughs> Would you like to go on holiday? I love to go to Italy. So that's, uh, that's always uh, on top of my list. But there are so many places that I haven't seen. So if I could just choose, I would go to the South Americas or even as far as Australia one day. Well, you uh, should come anytime you're welcome. We can show you what the real ocean looks like. But what superpower would you like to have? Well, as I said, I like uh, the ocean. So I think it would be great to be able to breathe underwater. So Marius is going to come back as Aquaman. Now, if you could meet anyone dead or alive, who would it be? I think I would go back and meet my wife as a 20-year-old again. Do it all over one more time. That would be great. That's a brilliant response. And what would you do if money were not an issue? I would move to Italy straight away, quit my job, and open a small cafe or restaurant near the ocean, near the Mediterranean Sea. Have you always been had this strong endearment towards Italy? No, it's something that's, that's come over the last five to six years. I, I used to travel a lot, uh, especially in the U.S. and Canada. And... Uh, kind of forgot that Europe is just around the corner and is so diverse and wonderful. So we, we started to, to focus more on European countries and, and we fell completely in love with Italy. So, yeah. Marius, if you could do anything to improve health and healthcare, what would you do? I think it would be 
extremely beneficial for everybody if we could remove financial incentives in our healthcare. Because if you were a healthcare worker, you had a fixed salary, no matter how many patients or how many procedures you did. So, so uh, I think that could be extremely beneficial, and I would love to see that work out someday. How do you feel about paying for quality or paying for outcomes as opposed to volume, which is what most systems currently operate under? I think that could be a good step t- towards better healthcare. Yeah, I, that, I think that could be a good solution. I don't know how to measure either quality or outcome effectively across a range of diseases and 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 conditions, and particularly in chronic diseases, that's that's going to be difficult. But I mean, I think with quality of life tools that are presumably generic across a range of different outcomes. And there are some, some health systems uh, that are doing that now. How do you continue to learn in order to stay on top of things within your role? Well, uh, I have students and they, they keep me on my toes because uh, they ask questions that I cannot answer. And, and, um, and then I have to read and go and discuss things with my much smarter colleagues and uh, then I learn, and also from meeting uh, colleagues from around the world and, and have new perspectives of things. And I'm happy to be working in a in interdisciplinary uh, research institutions so uh, I can get a lot of, of different people to take a view on a certain problem. So, so that's, that's, that's all happens all by itself. I'm not doing anything particular. Yeah. Now, big question. Why do you do what you do? What motivates you? Yeah, well, I think that I like to be the best at what I do. And uh, that's, that's a great motivation that I, that I want to do better every day and want to be a, a forerunner. And then if we dig down to the specifics of what I do, the, which is osteoarthritis or musculoskeletal diseases in general, there are so many things that we do not know compared to other diseases. And, and there's a lot of anecdotal evidence and, and beliefs rather than, than hardcore scientific evidence. And, and I, I would like to get to the bottom of that and get rid of all of the, can I say bullshit, that is out there sometimes and get the truth out in the open instead. And, and do that for the sake of our patients because they, they can sometimes waste a lot of time and money on things that are completely out of this world. Oh, well, they're, they're great motivations, and I hope you continue to do that. Now, if you could have a billboard with anything on it, what would it be and why? I think that you say change what you cannot accept and accept what you cannot change. That has a lot of angles to it, uh, because if you are a dad of a teenage girl, then you have to accept certain things that you cannot change. But then, of course, there are things that you cannot accept that you have to try to change. And if you're a, a patient, then with the osteoarthritis, there are some things that you cannot change that you have to accept. And there are aspects of it that are unacceptable that you have to find a way to change. And I think you can use that for many aspects of life. Now, Marius, in closing, is there any one piece of advice, knowledge or wisdom that you'd like to give for people out there who have osteoarthritis? Yeah, we've, we've touched upon this earlier, but I think uh, it's important for the patients to take control of their conditions rather than handing over control to someone else. You should do things that are, are not harmful to you 
And actually, there are a lot of things you can do that does not cause serious damage to your joints. So, so try different things. If it works, it's good. If it doesn't work over two or three months, do something else. So, so live more and stay active is perhaps also a good thing to remember. That's a great way to finish. And I think particularly that message of empowerment and finding out what works and continuing to pursue that and being knowledgeable and thoughtful about its application. Amaris, thank you so much for spending a little bit of time with us. Really a good chance to have a chance to chat and catch up at least briefly. And all being well, I hope to see you in the not too distant future in the flesh, but hopefully that'll happen some point this year. Well, thank you. And it was, it was a pleasure to be here and chat with you, David. I'm hoping today's content has been helpful in causing you to pause and reflect about the current management of your osteoarthritis. I don't want you to walk away from today. And if you're a regular exerciser, stopping exercise. That's not today's message. It's basically to say we should be tailoring exercise more thoughtfully to the individuals affected. And this particular trial has found that a one blanket neuromuscular exercise for all may not necessarily be more beneficial and is actually equivalent to saltwater injections, which we know is an inert comparator. So in the context of that study, we know that we need to reflect upon who it is that is receiving the intervention, whether they're already strong and potentially not needing of further strengthening exercise, and be mindful of the fact that exercise in different forms, both cardiovascular exercise and different ways of intervening through strengthening activity tailored to the individual may provide other salutary benefits over and above contextual effects. So it's in that guise that I would continue to encourage you to pursue what's best for you through a good, strong therapeutic relationship, whether that be with your physiotherapist, your general practitioner, or other health professionals. And be mindful of the fact that if you've tried something and you really know better after 12, 16 weeks, that it might be helpful to go back and say, well, I've done this. I've given it a good go. It's not really been helpful. What else can I do? There are lots of interventions that are out there for osteoarthritis. And I'd really strongly encourage you to find out what works best for you. And it's not a one blanket size fits all for everybody in the context of osteoarthritis. So again, if you're out there, you're exercising, it's helping you keep going. And for everybody else, stay active, stay reflective, and find out what works best for you. Between now and when I next speak to you, do take care, and I look forward to speaking to you soon. Thanks for listening to Joint Action with David Hunter. If you like our show and want to know more, visit www.jointaction.info. If you have any questions, you can email us at hello at jointaction.info and follow us on Twitter at jointactionorg. This podcast was hosted by David Hunter, edited by Vicky Duong, music produced by Jordan Hunter. The information posted on this podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. Anyone seeking medical advice should consult a health professional.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.